You're listening to the Look Right Naked podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bach. This is the podcast for men and women who want to look right naked without living in the gym. If that sounds like you, then you're in the right place. Let's dive in. Hey, welcome to the Look Right Naked podcast. I am your host, Eric Bach. If you're tuning in on YouTube, make sure to hit subscribe. And if you are checking us out on iTunes, on Spotify, please do us a favor, drop us a five-star review because today I'm going to have a wide-ranging conversation with my special guest and friend, Allie Gilbert, a men's health expert. You see, there has been a war on men's health and sperm production has decreased 59% since the 70s. Low testosterone? Well, testosterone levels have been decreasing 1% since 1982, and that's adjusted for age. And today, we're seeing more men suffer from depression, low muscle mass, high body fat, and frankly, a lack of motivation, which is preventing men from looking, feeling, and performing their best. And in today's conversation, Allie and I are going to be breaking down some walls. We're going to be talking about building biceps, building better boners, and optimizing testosterone. So you are not going to want to miss this episode. All right, today I have my good friend, the Queen of Men's Health founder of the Silverback Summit and a Golf Digest Top 50 Fit Pro, Allie Gilbert, who helps busy men get jacked, optimize their testosterone, and conquer nutrition while normalizing our favorite topic, boner talk. (laughs) Allie, how are you doing today? You want to tell them what I put on the submission form for the podcast? Yeah, yeah. When 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 Allie picked her time slot for us to have this podcast today, it came through as boner queen. So I'm working and all of a sudden I get this notification that pops up on my Gmail on a different tab and it just says boner queen has booked a call. <laughs> and anyway, very exciting times and uh, I'm definitely excited for us to for us to be here. So Allie, got to know, you know, what led you into the fitness industry and more specifically, how do you become an advocate for men's health, especially in a field that is very male dominant? Yeah, that. so I love that question. I always wanted to be in the fitness industry. And I always tell people that like in high school, I was I competed as a cyclist and I was like, I want to work with cyclists and do like clinical X fizz, which is like the most boring shit on the planet once you get to college because... Yes you get to college and I majored in exercise science and I was like, okay, this is awful. And I remember one of my classes was strength and conditioning lab where we had to teach people how to bench press. Basically. I was like, yeah, college is awesome. (laughs) Like, this is amazing. And I was like, this is way more fun. I want to work with athletes. And of course, back then, like I graduated in 2003, there was really zero money, especially like for women in strength conditioning. So I was like, cool, kind of need to like pay the bills. So I started uh, training at a commercial gym in my hometown of Greenwich, Connecticut. And that town's very wealthy. And obviously everyone wants to work with athletes, right? And so I was like, you know what? I have a lot of guys that play golf. Maybe I'll learn how to play golf and like learn about golf because I played soccer in college. I didn't know anything about golf. And so I found the Titleist Performance Institute, which is like a golf fitness certification. And I was like, I would do that. That's my new thing. So went all in on that and all guys sought out golf fitness, no women. So my entire clientele was dudes. And that's like their type A, you know, like they're just like athletes because golf is a sport, but they could afford to train. And I was like, all right, this is awesome. When you get all men as a clientele and they start asking questions about like nutrition and hormones and stuff because they won't go to the fucking doctor. I'm like, okay, no one's handling this. I think I'll handle this. And so I learned everything I could about men's hormones and uh, just like the 
the nature of the psychology of guys. I'm very much like a tomboy. So I already had that going for me. So it's very easy for me to kind of get along and like bro out with guys and stuff like that. And so here we are where I just went all in on the men's health thing. And now I have cool friends like you and we can talk about this stuff. And I think, you know, obviously men's health as a field has changed dramatically for the good and the bad. And we can get into that later. But I think being in this field, even though there's a lot of guys in it, I think being a female helps provide like a safe, less awkward space for guys to talk about the really sensitive shit where they're like, all right, cool. It's not a pride thing. She's not my wife nagging me to go to the doctor. She's a woman who's recognizing like, hey, if you have sexual performance issues and you're only 29, that that's actually common, may not be normal, but you know, it's okay to talk to her about it. So yeah, we are. definitely. Well, I'd love to hear it that you got involved working specifically as an advocate for men's health, because it's just kind of a natural segue in terms of the people that you tended to attract into your business. And I think that's such an important component. And you told yourself, hey, if these are the types of people that you know are being interested in my business and what I offer, I need to learn a bit more about the things that they're interested in. And not that I really mean to pivot into like a business lesson here, but that's such an essential component to being able to attract the people that you want, whether it be directly into business or any other area of life, right? People tend to collaborate with those who hire those, work with those who have similar interests. Um, and it reminds me of something similar in my business when I first got started and kind of finding out who was being attracted into my business and picking up these different hobbies and, and getting to learn more. And that's when we build a really expansive network and expand our boundaries, right? I think a lot of people jump into a field, um, specifically health and performance and think, I just want to work with this one type of person versus just getting out there and getting a, a wealth of experience with different people and then seeing what piques your interest and then going in a little bit further. And I think as a coach, what that allows you to do is build such a great baseline of knowledge and learn to communicate with so many different people. And specifically, as it comes to being an advocate for men's health, you know, as you mentioned, there's a lot for men, a lot of pride, a lot of barriers, a lot of times that they do not want to talk about these different aspects because inherently they view it as a potential reflection or judgment of their manhood. And that's a very uncomfortable thing for many men to do. There's like the berry stuff and then just go a thousand miles an hour in one direction until something, until shit hits a fan, right? And I think that's a perfect time to talk about what is the current state of men's health? What have you noticed throughout your career versus where we are now? Um, I love that question. And actually, just to backtrack, because it's funny, you mentioned about learning so much about your audience. And I remember this was, I don't know what year, maybe 2009 or 10, um, back when they still printed many magazines. So you, you were probably way younger. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I went out and bought like Cigar Aficionado and I bought uh, all these car magazines. Like I liked cars, but I didn't like speak the language and like all these, um, I think Maxim and like uh, PQ. <laughs> and so I was like, you know, I need to learn. And I got a subscription to Men's Health just to see like, all right, what are my guys reading so that I can understand what they're consuming? Because they may or may not bring these topics up, but at least I can understand that this is what they're reading this is what they're being told is the right way to do stuff, you know, and all that. And last summer, I did an internship at a garage down here in Florida to learn how to work on cars. So oh, wow. I even talk on it more. Yeah, I was like the chick who's like, hey, I can change your oil. What's up? <laughs> That's amazing. It was super fun. Um, but with the current state of men's health, like it's in this very fragile uh, place for multiple social reasons, but also physiological. So the physiological has to do with how sperm production has decreased like almost 60% in the last 
uh, decade or so. And testosterone is declining 1% per year since 1982. And the reasons for this are pretty much the chemicals that guys are exposed to and women too. But um, the environmental onslaught and the attack against hormones is causing from a developmental age for men to come out of the womb more feminized. And when I always bring this up in talks, I show a slide of how the male body has changed and where it's predicted to go in the 2040s. And it looks like a prepubescent girl. And people are like, oh my God. And I'm like, this is not my opinion, right? So I have to make sure that people think there's a delineation there. So the reason for this phthalates, parabens, like all these scary words that are fake hormones and plastics and body beauty products, you know, pretty much anything plastic near us. We're born, we're put in a plastic tube. Like we really can't control a lot of this stuff, but that's really what's affecting the development of guys. Like in a woman, if a woman's pregnant with a male fetus, she can affect his ability to produce sperm when he grows up just based on what she's exposed to, which seems so far-fetched, but it's true because they have the science to back this up. Dr. Shanna Swan has done dozens of studies on this. She wrote a book called Countdown. If you guys haven't gotten that or or heard her, you can listen to her on Joe Rogan. It's kind of like the Cliff Notes version of the book, but it is literally fascinating to the point where you're like, oh my God, if this is the direction we're headed, it's pretty scary. And so she highlights how this is affecting both men and women from a fertility aspect, but that it is true that in utero, there is a reason that people can be developed more feminized. And that means maybe one testicle, one ovary, or they haven't been exposed to as much testosterone in the womb. One of the best analogies I like to use is talking about the taint, which again, (laughs) another good subject, right? Or grundle or gooch, whatever you want to call it. Uh, That distance, which is from the uh, ball sack to the anus, should be pretty long in men. That distance is shortening. Wow. The scientific word for that is the anogenital distance, or I tell people my initials, AG, easy way to remember it. (laughs) Every time I think about every time I think about a date now, it's going to be thanks, Allie. AG. Yeah. I mean, listen, people already send me penis memes all day. Like, might as well not stop there. Just go on with the taint stuff, too. (laughs) (laughs) But that's like a true thing. It's like, oh, okay, that makes sense because it's shorter in women and now it's getting shorter in guys. And so instead of measuring like their finger size, they can go home now and measure their taint. and, And I don't honestly remember what it should be, but it's more than two inches, I believe. So that's actually decreasing. Um, And then the social reasons is this, you know, war on masculinity, so to speak, where men are more confused than ever as to their role in society. And a lot of this is with the feminist movement. And I think there's a difference between being um, like a a feminist and being a positive person about women doing good shit. Like, I love that women. Yeah work and do stuff like that. Right. But I also don't think that we should be suppressing men's ability to act as a man and then labeling it toxic, especially if they're strong or outspoken or have muscles. Like, I think this all feeds into this weird narrative and we can go on about that. And it's like kind of political, but also very social. And I do bring it up in my talks just to make the younger coaches understand like, hey, Chivalry still appreciated, you know, don't fear complimenting someone for being labeled as something you're not, you know, there's yeah. still like kind of tiptoeing around stuff. Like, I don't know if you've noticed that with your colleagues and, and clients, but like guys kind of don't know what to say or when. Yeah, definitely. You know, I'm, I'm 
I'm 34. It's, it's kind of an interesting age in that, you know, I even think of like the dating scene and how some of these dynamics have shifted over the years, right? I met my wife when I was in college, right? Before all these dating apps and like this hookup culture aspect, like really exploded. And that correlates directly with a lot of this rise and some of the political things that you just mentioned right there as well. And so it's really interesting where some of the actions that men would typically take, historically speaking, more male dominant leadership type roles, making the initiative have gone downhill because of so many things you can do behind a screen. Whereas, you know, when I met my wife, it was before Tinder, Bumble, all these different aspects, or actually many of my, you know, friends that are late 20s, early 30s, like that's when all this stuff actually exploded. And so we've seen this very, it was a gradual shift and then kind of a hockey stick in terms of these social movements and particularly not just feminism, it, it's, it's it's not that like feminism is inherently anti-female, but there is a lot of anti-male sentiment towards aspects of it, which make it really difficult for men to know how to react. And when men are constantly tiptoeing, not quite sure what to do, what to say, because they're constantly fearful of being judged, of being something misinterpreted, of opening a door or asking someone if they want a spot at the gym as an attempt just to make a move. Um, all these small little micro habits lead to macro shifts in the way that men perform. And so when you take that along with some of the physiological changes that you're mentioning here, it creates a really interesting dynamic that has seemingly really shifted to me since 2011, 2010, like sometime in that time frame where many men are confused. Like, how do I act? What is going on? Can I actually push towards some of these masculine traits without there being a toxic aura around me, so to speak? And it leaves many people confused. And so what are you seeing now then in terms of men, like some more signs of low testosterone, a lack of drive? You know, what are you seeing across the board? The biggest thing, because this is happening in guys who are younger and younger, like it, it used to be maybe guys, you know, in their late 50s, 60s, where it would just be a decline in like sex drive and energy. And a lot of guys associate low T with, all right, my dick still works, so I must not have low T. I'm fine. And it actually is not so much that. And it's more the cognitive decline of like their ability to have, like you said, like that drive. And this doesn't mean like sex drive. This is also drive in work and motivation to just actually like win because testosterone is like the winning yes. hormone Dopamine. so as soon as a guy yeah as soon as a guy is like eh, you know i'll do that next week or like you know maybe i don't want to really go after all this work related stuff that's kind of the early sign but then they think they're depressed and so then that's this overall like apathetic attitude that they're never going to really associate to low t because their sex drive might be fine so i always say that like as, as soon as you start to understand how powerful testosterone is related to like the um, your your brain and how it's really the basis behind how men think and, and how they can get stuff done, then it makes sense where, OK, it starts with that. It starts with the motivation and then the fatigue and being lethargic and maybe like an inability to gain muscle. And I say that delicately because people think they should be able to rapidly gain it. But we're talking like. Yes. On actual muscle, you know, like maybe not have fat storage where they used to and all of that. And then maybe, yes, some sexual performance issues because testosterone can be part of that. But it's not the glaring thing. I, I think more in the younger guys because they're so stressed out because we're just, you know, uh, bombarded with technology and screens and all this stuff all day long that their body's not like, oh, yeah, let's procreate your their body's like, uh, I need to, like, keep you alive. 
Yes. I don't know about you, but a lot of my guys, they under eat. Women get pegged with that, but men, huge. Yes, definitely. I had a conversation with a client on this yesterday and he's like, Eric, you know, when can we cut? Summer's around the corner. I'm like, yeah, you know, you've been dramatically under eating for years right now. Like we have to ramp your body up because there's nowhere to go, right? There's there's nothing that we can do here. And if we take your calories too low, when they've been low consistently, not only are you going to lose the muscle, we just spent the last four months building, but you're going to be right back at square one with less energy, less sex drive, and all these other aspects of it. And what I really like that you covered there, Ali, was many times there's a stigma that, for example, testosterone, TRT comes down to when a guy is all of a sudden like, you know what? Yeah, my sex drive is down. I can't get a boner anymore. I must be low T. Well, the first sign is often that lack of drive, that lack of motivation and unwillingness to push towards the big goals that you have. And there's this huge connection between dopamine and your and testosterone levels, right? And I've, I've definitely noticed specifically over the years where men are just tending to be a little bit more apathetic. They are, and some of this can be with some of the social constructs are not quite sure how they should act. There isn't necessarily the kind of pressure of like the man is to be the primary breadwinner aspect of it. And all of these things just kind of create some of a crisis for men's health right now, where it's not just sexual function, muscle, so on and so forth, but it's like, where's my place in society? What am I supposed to be doing right now? Am I allowed to make this decision or do I need to always have a conversation about it? Can I push hard towards this or should I be wary of the judgment of others if I'm a disappointment because something doesn't work the way that I want it? And I see so many men operate in this mindset that it prevents them from not only accomplishing what they want physically, but personally, and professionally, and they suffer in silence to the point where they just repress, repress, repress until they feel like they hit rock bottom, right? And then it's like, now I need to do something versus proactively looking at some of the other aspects that could be related to low testosterone, aka cognitive function, and proactively preventing these things from happening through making the right lifestyle changes on the, on the front end. Is that something that you've seen as well? Just like this whole, I mean, it's, it really, it's a snowball going downhill. It totally, like you hit the nail on the head. And and I actually was, was talking with our mutual friend, Jay Frugia yesterday about this when it comes to business owners and male entrepreneurs and how isolated they feel. Because if you're among, you know, like your local friends and stuff and, and you're trying to change stuff for the better, you likely are around people who get triggered and are insecure that you're doing things that they can't do. So they make you feel wrong for wanting to either do more in a better way, or even like you said before, TRT, like there's this social stigma around TRT. So can't be low testosterone because that's bad and that's steroids. And your people around you might tell you that. And it's preparing to... Uh, kind of learn the difference between is this a self-limiting belief because the people around you made you feel that way? Or is this truly how you feel? And that was kind of mind blowing because a yeah. lot of guys do suffer with this. I know you have these conversations with guys that they don't have with anybody else because they're just like, you're kind of like my people. You're, you're somebody that makes me feel safe and makes me feel like, all right, I can do this. They feel good talking to people like you and myself, or when you're in a room with other entrepreneurs or at a mastermind or stuff like that, that's why people seek that type of community. So that kind of peer pressure, it's not just like, oh, bro, you can have one drink. It's like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? You don't need that. Like all of that is kind of positioning them in a way where you said they have no clue what the fuck to do. Like, do I take yeah. a step? Do I do I do this? Like, what do I do? So I see that, yeah, all the time. 
They're yeah. just paralyzed. And then they do nothing because then they overthink and all of that. So Yeah. And I notice it more, especially as as men are becoming, you know, fathers entering their 30s. You know, again, I'm th- I just turned 34. So it's like I see some of these interesting dynamics in different age brackets, which I'm sure you have observed as well, where especially as a man, as you start to take on maybe different responsibilities, if you're taking on a business, if you are having a young family where it's like no longer do you put yourself in some of your goals primarily driven. And, you know, depending what you believe, I believe a lot of men are driven primarily by purpose and freedom first. And without that, they kind of wallow and are unsure of what they should do. And so pretty soon you have these guys who are unsure of what their purpose is, whether they should actually push for it. We take this physiological, you know, onslaught of all these different, you know, chemicals and things that are impairing testosterone levels from before birth. And you combine that with some of these societal wide changes. And you have men that all of a sudden are no longer at their quote unquote physiological peak. And then they are isolated. And it just creates a very difficult place for men to know what to do, how to react. There's a negative stigma around testosterone, whereas, okay, testosterone is dangerous. It's going to make you go ballistic and, and be violent. Um, without ever addressing the mental components of it and how it helps a man truly lean into who they are and be focused on that purpose from which is generally speaking, the most important thing for a man to show up as the best version of themselves across the board. And it's, it's really sad, but we've got great educators like you who are providing information in a way that is practical, applicable, and straight to the point. And speaking of straight to the point, let's talk about testosterone boosters for a moment. Because for most men, what they do is they think, hey, maybe I do have low T. And they go on Amazon, find something with Tribulus, pop it in and think, hey, great, I've got a testosterone booster. Now we're all set. What are your thoughts in general on like, you know, over the counter testosterone boosters, what men should look for, what they shouldn't look for, maybe some steps that they should take to really get their testosterone levels checked so they can make informed choices. So I still get asked about certain products like that. Um, surprisingly, I'm like, haven't we heard me talk about this? But I guess like you can never, you know, say something enough times. So I used to actually go into like GNC or vitamin shop and just peruse the uh, men's health section and be like, all right, what herb are we selling for $90 today? And <laughs> positioning it as something that's going to cause like rock hard boners and stuff. So and it's, there seems to be all these new ones. And it's literally that it's like a collection of herbs that you could buy like solely for like eight bucks. And then, you know, they put it in a jar. So here's the thing. If they worked as well as they claim, then I think everyone would be taking those in lieu of TRT. So even though it seems like, oh, this is something natural that might be able to boost, does it increase testosterone on paper? Yeah, it might. You might go from like 300 to 350. Woohoo. Like you're not really going to feel that you're still very low. So, and that's transient and it doesn't stay there and it doesn't really tackle everything else, like your lifestyle and your habits and stuff. But we're very ingrained to like, oh, there's a pill. I'll take it. This is the easy way. Yes. So don't waste your money with those because again, on paper, yeah, it might work, but that means nothing. So getting your labs done will actually be actually be more meaningful as far as where you stand and, and what your function is as a man. And that alone is very hard for guys to get. It's like, Getting lab work done. Very difficult. Oh my God. But it's actually easier than ever now because you can do it at home. You can do it like in the privacy of your home. You can buy it online. Like there's tons of options. Now you know where you stand. Now you know, like, are you low testosterone or not? If you are, are you low because like it's primary hypogonadism, which means that something happened to the testicles, like your balls died? Are you older? 
they're not functioning anymore is their trauma. Did you get kicked in the testicles when you were a kid or played soccer and just didn't connect the dots? Secondary hypogonadism would be something with the brain, which is going to be like 80% of the clients that we work with, where something is kind of scaring the signal from your brain to your testicle testicles to produce testosterone because you're so stressed. And that I think is what a lot of guys deal with. And the analogy I use for that is if you're in the gym, you're doing a one RM squat, you're on your way up, you're shaking, your eyes are bulging, you're holding your breath, you're turning purple, you might poop your pants. And then all of a sudden, like your love interest walks in front of you and it's like, yo, Eric, let's go. Are you going to be able to pop a boner like at that moment? Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that's like the same impact that stress has on your body. And so then they're like, oh, because like I said before, your body's not like, yeah, let's procreate while we're in this highly sympathetic state. No, it's like, okay, chill out. So understanding where you are from a physiological aspect, why your testosterone is low is going to be much better for you than grabbing a booster or DHEA off the shelf just to because you think you might be low T. We have to understand why. And then all the stuff that you and I handle as far as the lifestyle stuff, the training, the nutrition and getting all that dialed in has to happen anyway, even if you do go on TRT because it's not a panacea. Yeah, I think that's so crucial. And and I want to piggyback on a couple of things that you mentioned. First yeah. on the stress component, right? The one way that I always like to break this down, you know, when I'm talking with my guys is listen, we have to be in synergy. We've got your nutrition, we have your training, we have your lifestyle. And you could have the same training methods that you did when you're 22 and better nutrition right now. But if this lifestyle component, if you're getting five hours of sleep a night, living on, you know, 600 milligrams of caffeine per day, and you're chronically stressed from all these other demands in your life, we can't keep hammering the same intensity in the gym and all these other aspects because that balance of stress and of cortisol is going to be completely out of whack and it's going to undermine what you can physiologically do. And specifically with men, what I see is there's a tendency for for, for men and women, people especially who are athletes who've been in great shape, there's always going to be a comparison to what I was able to do before. And particularly with men, there's a lot more of an attribution to their self-worth with that. Mm-hmm. And so what they do is they continue training the exact same way, sometimes with even more intense even though the stress from everything else in life shoots through the roof and they start to think I'm doing everything right, but it's not working. It must be something wrong with me. And the first place that they look is a testosterone booster or something like that versus actually going in and getting blood work. And one reason, because it is very difficult. You know, there are some definitely great, you know, at home type places you can go. Um, Blokes is a up and coming, you know, brand that does some really excellent work in terms of that blood work as well. Um, but let's jump into that aspect then, right? You go to the doctor, say just a, a general practitioner, right? And you come back and your testosterone levels are, are 400. Well, natural levels are what, 300 to 1,000 on the physiological scale. Some people a little bit higher, a little bit lower. If you do that, a general practitioner is going to say, hey, yeah, your testosterone is fine. You are within a natural level. Well, if you haven't gone and gotten your levels checked, let's say you did at 25 and they're actually 800 and you're 400 now hell yeah, you're going to feel a difference. You got half the juice that you're used to having, right? And so it's so crucial for men. I always tell my clients, if you can, by 25, get a good baseline of testosterone, maybe it needs to be even earlier now based on some of the changes that we're seeing. But because we have this range, there can be those significant drops where if you don't have any baseline information, your doctor is going to say, hey, you're fine. Don't worry about it while you continue to suffer. Um, Is that something that you see quite a bit, you know, with your clients? Oh yeah. God, <laughs> it's, um, it, it's this, the educational curve surrounding like why we don't want to use number one insurance, number two, a GP 
for testosterone. And and guys just don't know because they don't go to the doctor. So like, how are you supposed to know, like, where are you going to yeah. go? And if it's not a GP, is it an endocrinologist? Likely not. And it's this very unregulated, but regulated industry with the TRT world, because like in Florida, there's a clinic every five minutes, like behind the gas station, you could literally walk in, come out with like Winstrol and testosterone, no one bats an eye. But in New York, you could barely get labs done. So it, it's a little bit crazy, but for insurance. So let's let's pretend that somebody wants to go through insurance and tries. So they will usually ask, can I get all these labs through my GP? The answer is maybe. And you can ask for a list. The problem with that, it's kind of like if you go to a nightclub and you want to get a bottle, in order to get a bottle, you have to get a table. And then that bottle of vodka, which is what, 30 bucks in the alcohol alcohol store. I always call it the alcohol store. Obviously, I don't drink. Um, the liquor store is like $30. But at the club, it's like 500. Yeah, it's the same with lab work. So your insurance company would be like, cool, testosterone is like a $25 test, we're going to make it 300. And so you can get a surprise bill in the mail, which I have seen from whatever lab for like 12, 12 grand or 12 grand, 1200 to like 3,500 for no reason. Absolutely no reason. Yeah. That's why paying out of pocket and knowing this is all you're going to pay is a fantastic thing. Second reason you don't want to go through insurance, insurance needs you to qualify for TRT. That qualification means you have to be under 300 twice in a row. Guys feel like shit at 400, 500, like it doesn't matter. So now you have to further your health through the floor to be able to qualify for this unregulated, regulated system. It's ridiculous. So you want to go to somebody who specializes in hormone replacement, who has done this for years, because your GP likely does not specialize it nor deal with only HRT all day, and go to a competent practitioner who's going to ask you all the questions about your lifestyle and do the right labs, and then help you decide if you're a candidate and then move forward with yeah. the right thing, not some cookie cutter where you go out the door and you're taking nine things just because it costs a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you just broke that down so perfectly <laughs> that I have nothing to add on that. <laughs> and so let's say we have somebody who is, you know, they, they do have low testosterone. They want to look at going into TRT. What are some of the key lifestyle components that you would recommend that they make, whether they're going on TRT or not, but that they need to reinforce in order to support healthy hormone function? So... My kind of rule generally, if they're over 20% body fat, that has to be handled because that's an inflammatory state. So body fat is the most inflammatory tissue. So literally, if you have too much of it, your body now is like fighting against you. And then you want to add a hormone that your body does not want to produce into your body. Not a good scene. And, and when I say not a good scene, you may experience side effects such as like moodiness and water retention and things that guys think is estrogen related, but it's actually androgen related. Some, maybe some anxiety. They just won't feel as good as somebody should when they're leaner. That has to be addressed. You don't just inject tea and then the fat melts off. We all wish that happened, but it doesn't. I have guys that train still who are on TRT in order to look the way they do. I know it's shocking that you actually have to do the work, but yeah. <laughs> a lot of guys think like, you know, sit and inject steroids and then boom. Wow. Um, yeah. So that number one, like let's get any insulin resistance handled, let's get body fat handled because that's pretty easy for from our point of view. Yes. Then once we get to a certain standpoint of leanness, for me, it's around 15%, which I think guys do well at. Then we can address, maybe we don't have enough muscle because as you know, every guy goes through that cycle, they get leaner and they're like, oh, now I'm small. Yep. Well, 
We have to get lean in order to build muscle. So let's address that. And then their sleep is going to be huge. And if you're overweight, you probably have some sort of sleep apnea, which is directly correlated with low T or if you snore. So let's handle that. And that can be handled with changing your circadian rhythm by getting light exposure. All things that Eric, you and I know are simple, but no one wants to do. But we have to talk to the guys about this. And then their nutrition. If your nutrition's a hot mess, testosterone's not going to make it less of a hot mess. Like it doesn't change the chemical structure of crap once you consume it if you have TRT in your body. So we definitely have to address those things. Yeah. Exercise. No, so crucial, right? Like people think, especially, you know, you see like influencers, I'm not going to throw any names out here, but like somebody gets popped for, for lying about being on steroids and whatnot. And um, obviously that's unethical, right? Like if, if you market yourself as natural and do all these things and then you're juiced to the gills, you know, on, on you know, $25,000 a month of gear, like that's, that's a different story. But people view that if you take TRT or testosterone, it's going to be a magic panacea. And all of a sudden you just are chiseled out of granite. It's not the way that it works. You still have to do the underlying work when it comes to improving your sleep, improving your health, losing that body fat first. So your body responds. Yeah. That we always say is like, look, success comes down to the ruthless execution of the basics. Can these different aspects, can they help? Yes. But we still have to do basic things like getting proper sleep, getting sunlight, going for walks, reducing body fat, and making sure that you as an organism are healthy before these other strategies are truly going to work. And because it seems so simple in a world where, you know, everything's a three to five second, you know, snapshot in a, in a quick headline where I have all the surface level knowledge, I feel like people really struggle to gain the depth of knowledge about their body and about what they need to do with health because they're always chasing something that's short, quick, digestible, and immediately usable. But without that depth, that's where people really struggle to optimize their health, not just testosterone, but their health in general. So let's pivot just a little bit. Let's talk about some things that I see quite a bit. And, you know, we talked about just a few things socially, right? Like one thing we've seen is definitely the rise of you know, marijuana, you know, marijuana related products, CBD, so on and so forth. What do you think about that as a role on, on testosterone? Um, but in addition, do you think that, you know, sometimes we see men using things like marijuana as a way to potentially disconnect that feeds into some of these social barriers that men are feeling and not being able to fully express themselves and how does that relate to hormone health? Yeah. So that, that's a great question too, because that does get brought up often. Um, and I, I know that like, from my understanding, uh, marijuana can suppress the production of GNRH, which is gonadotropin releasing hormone, which basically is part of that signaling pathway to stimulate the testicles to produce testosterone. So that suppression can also increase uh, prolactin, which is like more of in men, it works as a stress hormone, we think, because guys who are like stressed out of their gore tend to produce more prolactin. It's kind of a weird thing. Um, my colleague yeah. Lee is really very well versed in that whole process. And he's the one who told me, like, I think it works as stress hormone. And I'm like, interesting. And he explained why. And it's beyond what I could actually duplicate to be able to explain, but it's really good. Um, so I think chronic, and that's chronic use. That's not like, you know, once in a while having it just to calm down. Cause I have trained uh, record executives that smoked all day, every day. They yeah. had gynecomastia, they had osteoporosis. Like it was not good health wise. And this is not true for CBD. This is not true um, for, for any type, yeah, any type of CBD product. 
And I think smoking was the worst. And then obviously anything else that contains that THC was a part of that. So I don't know the answer as to how much is too much because I always get asked that. And I think it could be contextual depending on the person as well. But that is a big thing because I do think that CBD in itself can be extremely helpful for God, so many things like from autoimmune to uh, anxiety, to being able to calm somebody down to healing, stuff like that. And there's all these different forms. I'm not a CBD expert, so I can't go into the different forms, but I do think it's done a lot of great things for guys, especially if they have anxiety. A lot of guys have anxiety and don't really know how to handle it or don't have an outlet for that that isn't detrimental like drugs and alcohol. So I think that this provides more of a safer alternative to that. Um, I forgot the other question. No, I agree with you 100%. You know, I, I do think that we've seen obviously an increase in, in, in marijuana use and in products. And we're talking about THC and CBD here. Yep. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I think that there are definite some benefits, especially with CBD. And again, we're not getting into a full-fledged discussion on the efficacy of, of marijuana because that's not either one of our, you know, levels yeah. of expertise. <laughs> However, like what I see in clients is, like anything else, if you use it in small doses and strategically, it can be beneficial in terms of stress reduction. What I am, am seeing is more and more people use it chronically and habitually with a lot of it to numb out, to disconnect, to relax a little bit more. And then when they come through with the body composition aspects and an inability to regulate stress in any other way, then it becomes an issue. And so like I find that, that aspect very interesting, particularly when you mention how it may affect overall testosterone production release. So it's kind of one of those things where we're seeing somewhat of a shift in terms of society-wide acceptance towards a substance and finding out like what is going to be an applicable usage for it, both in terms of a medical aspect, but how much is too much, right? And then with alcohol, listen, you know, we've all seen studies across the board where red wine is good for you, but it is very clear now with all the research that any amount of alcohol is not necessarily going to support you. And specifically with testosterone, there can be some huge detriments. Can you speak a little bit to that? With uh, testosterone and alcohol? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it can like inherently lower uh, testosterone because it, it messes with all hormones. But the biggest thing is like it disrupts your sleep. And that's kind of like the most basic like duh. But a lot of guys are like, you know, or even people in general, well, alcohol helps me sleep. And I'm like, no, it helps you pass out. But <laughs> if you look at like if you wear an aura ring or anything and you look at your data the next day from sleeping when you drink, it's not good. So save it for like, you know, events or stuff where it's a special occasion. I get it. Like I, I drank every weekend in my twenties. I partied hard, blah, blah, blah. I feel like crap. If I drink, like I'd rather get up early, get a good lift in, like, you know, not have to spend the entire day just trying to feel functional. And guys think that there's a way to get away with a minimal amount, especially for body composition change. Oh my God. There's like, cause I don't know what influencers are like, Oh, moderation, you know, you can still have alcohol and have abs and stuff like that. And I'm just like, okay, maybe, but like, depending on the goal, if you want to be, you know, 18% body fat, sure. You can probably get away with a drink once a week or whatever. If you want like dick skin and you want to go like single digit body fat, like <laughs> yeah, not, not happening. So that that is something that guys have trouble with grasping. And I'm like, it's literally toxic. Like this is a toxic substance that when you ingest your body is like, oh, shit, this is toxic. I have to metabolize this first. So if you eat anything with it, well, that gets put over here and gets stored because your body's like, yeah, I got to get rid of this toxic thing. And my voice is cracking because I was sick last week, not from Trent, I swear. 
So your body, <laughs> your body's taking all this toxic stuff in and it actually has calories. So it uses that because it's very quick energy. So I think also because it reduces inhibition, maybe the food choices are not going to be the best either. And it's just a hot mess. And then the next day you're dehydrated. You put yourself at risk for inner injury. If you try to go to the gym and quote, burn it all off, it, it just does nothing good. I don't see anything good happen from chronic alcohol. And then they'll say, well, I'm not an alcoholic. And there's a social alcoholism that does occur where if it's like on the weekends. Yeah. We had a client ask that question. He's like, well, on the weekends, you know, I'd like to have one or two drinks. And, you know, Ryan's primarily coaching him. And Ryan's like, dude, would you start a road trip with your car half full of gas, oil let out, air out of the tires, just like, you know, 20 PSI, and then start like that. That's what you're doing to your fat loss journey. And he's like 28% body fat. Yeah. And he was like, thank you for that, you know, punch in the gut. He needed that. But it's so true. Like, why would you start your journey of health already with the service light on, you know? Yeah, definitely. I always say, I mean, listen, I drink socially, um, but honestly, it's not going to serve you, right? So objectively speaking, if you're going to have a drink, yes, there are certain strategies that you can use. It can be beneficial to help limit some of the quote unquote damage, but in no way is it going to help you get closer to your goals. And the best solution is going to be none. The next best is going to be as little as possible, right? And so, especially when we're talking hormone health and all the things related to sleep, which underpins hormone function of, of everything and all physiological function, well, then you want to really pick and choose your battles and, and where you want to be able to allocate resources. Yeah. So, and I'm like kind of a dick about it in, in the sense that I'm just like, you know, it, it's really bad, but there is a way to, you know, work it in, like you said, socially for guys who maybe they don't care about looking super chiseled. And I'm totally cool with that because I have a lot of CEOs that, that do it socially. They entertain clients, you know, they have a drink or two. There's strategies, like you said, going in, uh, not to hydrate, going in hydrated, planning what you're going to eat. Maybe you don't train the next day if you feel awful. Maybe you hit, you know, the sauna or do something like relaxing, stuff like that. Like there's ways to strategically plan around that. And yeah. I, I tell people, I like if I drink, I drink Tito's on the rocks with lemon juice. And then I put like Mio, that uh, sugar cream yeah. lemonade in it. <laughs> Probably butchers it, but. Hey, do they sneak vitamins in there? They might, they might. But no, I think I add that in. I used to add branch, branch chains to vodka when I was younger. There you go. <laughs> I remember working at a gym, and actually, there was a, a supplement company that was attached directly to the gym, and they threw a couple happy hours where they were putting like pre workout and vodka. I mean, I'm like, oh, great choice. Great choice. Um, not alcoholic bang. I saw that at a gas station. Bang. Oh, like, wow. Bang spiked. Like, yeah. I was like, hmm. Mm, wild cherry blackout. Can't wait. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Let's talk about boners. There's obviously been a huge issue with men having erectile dysfunction at younger and younger ages. And we've talked about testosterone and how that plays a role. You know, what are some of the, I guess, obvious and not so obvious signs and what can be done about it? So this is actually a, a issue in younger guys, like under 30 even, um, who don't realize that like, not that something's not wrong with them, but they think something's wrong with them, like really bad and they don't talk to anybody about it. So I do have this discussion a lot because I have guys who have maybe not had the exposure to testosterone when they're younger, maybe were coddled when they grew up or didn't you know, do things that were causing them to stimulate the production of testosterone and maybe were less driven and they suffer from sexual performance anxiety 
because they're like, I have no erection and it's been two years. Like I've had guys like this. And some of the reasons that contribute to that, yes, testosterone is part of it. There are two other things, blood flow being one of them, probably not likely in a younger guy, but then you have um, the biochemistry, which is testosterone. And then you have the brain, which is the stress. So three Bs, I got that from my friend, Jay Tita. So blood flow, brain, and biochemistry. So the blood flow is like usually an older guy or somebody smokes or they just have poor art- artery function or endothelial health. So ED equals ED. My cardiologist, Dr. Twyman made that up. Endothelial dysfunction <laughs> equals erectile dysfunction. Wow. Pretty simple. Yeah. Yeah. So getting getting that checked for the guys who, you know, who are in their 30s and up, you might, might want to understand the health of your arteries because that can contribute to erectile issues. Um, if you don't use it, you will lose it. So basically the penis needs exercise just like anything else in the body. So if you don't use it, then it can actually curve and Peroni's disease is a good example of this where it's like literally curved to where it's very painful. Yeah. And then that requires certain treatments to get it back to be straight. Um, and then as far as the um, brain side is where the whole signaling comes into effect, like I was saying with the squat analogy. So guys who feel that type of stress, if you under eat, if you overtrain, if you're not sleeping, your body, again, is not in a safe place to procreate. So it's not going to be like, yo, let's get it on. You're not going to feel that. So your body's not going to be able to produce an erection. And also like any mental trauma. I remember I had one client who he he started dating this woman and he was maybe 32. Um, and he, he, would able, he was able to get an erection, but then he would lose it. And I asked him, I was like, what were your relationships like previously? And he was with a girl in high school who made fun of him when he couldn't get an erection like one random day. And then that set the tone. That trauma baseline. Yeah. And I was like, have you ever confronted this? And he was like, I never even thought that it was connected. And I was like, that's a big thing. And guys don't realize that. Like when you're in high school, oh my God, that's I think like our worst nightmare. Right. Your your guy's worst nightmare. But like anything, you know, sexual that goes sideways is like not a good time when you're in high school. So obviously that's going to affect you when you're older. Like we all have our childhood trauma. Or if you saw like, you know, if your parents were divorced or maybe you just witnessed a very bad relationship growing up, that could be your view on sex. Porn usage is a big one too. Yeah. Guys who watch porn, it's constantly stimulating dopamine. And then that eventually gets old to where you need something really crazy in order to get off. And then they transition to the real world and they're like, oh, this is not what what sex is supposed to be. It's supposed to be this, you know, crazy or yeah, yeah, whatever they watch. And then they can't get an erection because it's just not stimulating enough for them. So there's a lot of studies on that actually it goes pretty deep. Yeah. I mean, so again, there's both a physiological component, some society wise acceptance of different things. And then of course we get deep in terms of past memories, past trauma. And all of these things are often what men just tend, tend to bury. Think yeah. oh, whatever. I'm just going to keep going through this a little bit. Not sure what my role is. These things aren't, you know, normal for men to talk about. And that leads to the next point of of social connection. How important is that for men? Um, Not just from a sexual health component, but obviously just from a a health perspective in general. I I think it's actually more warranted than ever and craved, especially post-pandemic, because 2020, like, you know, all the introverts like rejoiced and everyone was like so thrilled to not have to like go out and fly and do all the shit. And obviously that got old very fast, but we kind of lost the ability to communicate and connect. And I think having community is so big for guys because like we were talking about earlier, if you're 
you know, doing starting your own business or you're in your own business or you're just not around others who have the same mind as you as far as like drive and, you know, wanting to conquer. Some people are very complacent and just want to work nine to five. That's fine. I don't judge them. But there are guys who want more and they aspire for more and they need to be around others who are like that. And then building those relationships leading to, like you said, a powerful network. Then you can call somebody whenever shit goes sideways or you have somebody to talk about stuff like this and it's not transactional is so it it just benefits anybody in so many aspects of their life, but it gives you the skills to be able to communicate, which is going to help you in your business as well. And with with the event that I created with Silverback, the in-person, it's men only. And I was not sure. I was like, are these guys going to hang out with each other? Is everyone going to hermit in their own room? Like not talk, you know, these dudes were fucking BFFs by the end of the weekend, staying up until like 2 a.m. playing cards. And they all like kept in touch after. And like like Perugia said yesterday, guys from his coaching program got together without him in Connecticut because they all became such good friends. And I think finding wherever you feel most at home, like for me, it's at events that like Bedros throws or, you know, with people like you, that's yeah. where I feel at home around other like entrepreneurial meatheads, we'll call it, right? (laughs) A great term. People understand you, right? Like they understand you, but they understand your lifestyle as well. Like being around that, I think guys need that because if you're around people that constantly make you feel bad for who you are, or you feel you have to apologize, obviously that's not going to get you very far in life. Yeah. And that speaks to, and you mentioned this already, but the importance of even things like coaching and having events and doing these different aspects, you know, I mean, I've been a product of masterminds and, and business coaching and this stuff since this is about 23. And some of the relate relationships that I've built in that, I mean, been invited to each other's weddings. We go on trips, you know, we hang out, we have deep conversations that you don't really have with, with other people because there's that connection point where so many men who are pushing towards things, again, they don't have that social connection inherently, and then they don't put themselves out there, especially as they get a little bit older and more responsibility takes control of their schedule. They're not quite sure how to act. So especially now post-pandemic, it's so crucial to be able to find a social circle, to be able to find people who think the way that you do, who are ambitious the way that you do. And even if you have an online business, like we primarily do, like, you know, I make it a thing each week to go out and go, I box, right? And I'm great friends with my, with my coach, Johnny. He does a great job there as well. And it's, it's being able to get out and collaborate and to communicate with other people who might have the same battles and forge those bonds. You know, that's such an important component because it underpins our overall mental health and our ability to, to look, feel and perform the way that we want. So, Ali, thank you so much for all of your knowledge here. This has been incredibly insightful and fun. Um, where yes. can we find out more about you? So uh, I'm primarily most of my content on Instagram at the Ali Gilbert ALI. Just slide in the DMs. Nothing is TMI. Just don't send dick pics, but we can have conversations about <laughs> that stuff. I do that all day long. Send me all the penis memes that you want. Um, that's pretty much where you guys can find me or my website, ali-gilbert.com. Awesome. Ali, thank you so much for being here. We are going to have to do this again. We will. Yes. Thank you. Hey, it's Eric here again. Before heading out, I want you to shoot me a message over on Instagram at Bach Performance and let me know what do you want to hear next on the podcast? And we'll create an episode specifically for you. Until next time, my friend, remember fitness should improve your life, not consume it.